Hello viewers and welcome to another card review video in the Lord of the Rings the Card Game Progression series. My name is Mitch. And my name is Matthew. And today, let's examine the player cards from the fourth adventure pack of the Dwarodelf cycle, The Long Dark. We always begin by discussing our new hero, so Matthew, who joins our card pool today? Well, we get a tactics hero in this pack, and it is Hama. He is Rohan and Warrior, and he has a 9 threat cost, 1 willpower strength, 3 attack strength, 1 defense strength, and 4 hit points. Uh, response. After Hama is declared as an attacker, return a tactics event from your discard pile to your hand. Then, choose and discard one card from your hand. Um, interesting hero, I, I, I think. Um, and it's a, the type of hero, generally speaking, that I think gets better as the game goes on. Meaning, as we get more and more tactics events that he could possibly, you know, pull out of the discard, the better he's going to be. I think the obvious uses for him are something like faint, uh, where if you need it back for the next round or something, unfortunately it's after he attacks, so you've already done your defenses, but you at least can get it back. Uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of events we mention in the future. Oh, this could be cool for Hama, but it's not a hero I've used a ton. Um, in fact, I don't recall if I've ever used him at all. Uh, so, I mean, the threat cost is fairly low, the attack strength is decent, you're probably not going to be questing or defending much with this guy. But uh, at this point in the game's life, I don't really know that there are a ton of tactics events that I'd be dying to get back in my hand. But um, what do you think? Well, this uh, kind of illustrates an interesting direction that the game starts to head in because he is very much filling a niche role. He's recycling tactics events. Uh, he's not like a generic leadership hero where he just can act multiple times per round. And you hit the nail on the head when you're saying he's kind of pigeonholed into being an attacker. So his, you know, in assessing that threat cost of nine, it's reasonably low, but you're never really going to use his HP unless you're taking archery damage, which we'll discuss in the future, unless you're taking undefended attacks. One defense isn't great. One willpower isn't great. He has the Rohan trait, but you know, he's tactics, he's not spirit. Maybe if you're playing with someone, now and then you might be able to use uh, Astonishing Speed to give him a willpower boost and send him questing, but for the most part he's just going to be attacking. And because he's not a dwarf, because he's not an elf, uh, he's not going to benefit from Rivendell Blade, he's not benefiting from Kazad Kazad or anything like that. And uh probably the most important thing to remember for him is the way that events work is you play them, you resolve them entirely, and then you discard them. Uh, you're not going to be able to return an event to your hand until he's declared as an attacker. Um, so something that jumped immediately to mind is Quick Strike, but to be able to recycle Quick Strike to like always have Hama attack before the enemy attacks, you have to have a copy of it sitting in your discard pile, so you play a quick strike, you return the one already in your discard pile to your hand, you know, and you finish resolving everything, and then uh, he's good. So he's definitely not a hero I've used much. 
he's he is a lot like Dane Ironfoot, where every time we talk about dwarves, we have to mention Dane. Every time we see another tactics event, we have to ask, can we kind of abuse it uh, through Hama? And it seems a little bit strange for the developers to kind of encourage the players to try and cheese scenarios by repeatedly playing potentially broken tactics events. Uh, so definitely just an odd guy here. I suppose just to wrap up my opinion of this card, bear in mind that he does very well in any kind of deck where you're already discarding cards, like if you're using Zigil Miner to add resources. If you're discarding cards, you potentially discard Tactics events for him to bounce to your hand, and uh, because the Tactics deck normally doesn't have a lot of card advantage, that can kind of be a sneaky way to afford yourself some. Uh, when you're picking what cards to discard from your hand, feel free to chuck duplicates of uniques, cards that aren't useful in a certain situation, and, um, you know, those extra copies of Steward of Gondor that aren't doing you any good, chuck those. Uh, when you're considering what kind of events to bounce to your hand, something you could do is using a attack-boosting event like Blade Mastery to boost attack and defense, or even Unseen Strike, which is free, uh, to give yourself plus three attack for the phase uh, if you're attacking an enemy with a higher engagement cost than your threat. So if you can take advantage of effects like that, he can get a lot better. Um, and then really the only other things to mention are that Hama was extremely popular in an Eagles deck, because every time he attacks, you can play the Eagles are coming uh, to get Eagles in your hand. And uh, Matthew happened to mention Faint. If you can repeatedly bounce Faint or Thicket of Spears to your hand, you can either lock down one boss enemy or uh, multiple enemies. Uh, and that actually kind of prompted the the developers adding the errata to Faint and Thicket of Spears where, you know, those engaged enemies can only attack you. Uh, just because in, in uh, Adventure Pack 6, we end up seeing an enemy who attacks all players at once, and the Hama faint loop made what should have been a very interesting, exciting boss scenario into just kind of a joke. So... Hama's an interesting character. He's not exactly my play style, but a lot of people have fun with him. And of course, uh, if you've got your own uses, be sure to let Matthew and I know in the comments. Uh, <laughs> but I can't really think of anything else to say about him. So what's up for leadership? Yeah, I think the best thing to say is that he's got cool art. All right. Leadership card. Up first is an ally. It is the four-cost Arrestor. He has two one-power strength, zero attack strength, one defense strength, and three hit points. He is Noldor, and he has an action. Choose and discard one card from your hand to draw one card, and that is limit once per round. Um, kind of expensive, I suppose, uh, at, at four resources. Although, again, as we always say with leadership, uh, you know, if you've got Steward of Gondor or what have you, it sort of, uh, neuters his cost. Uh, quite a bit. I think it's good um, being able to ditch a copy of a unique that you already have in play or ditch just something you don't need at the moment to draw a card is is always good. You don't have to exhaust this guy to do so like with Bearvor or others, so that's nice. You can get use out of his uh, willpower strength there. Um, 
So really, you just have to determine, you know, is his cost uh, prohibitive? Um, I think not in a in a leadership deck. But uh, what do you think? Well, uh, the cost does definitely stand out. I have kind of gotten in the habit in uh, at this point in our series of just maybe including one leadership hero across both decks. So that cost of four, while not insurmountable, is pretty lofty. And if you're using Song of Kings, things like that, uh, to smooth or fix your resources, it, it is totally affordable. Uh, kind of like Hama, I don't have a ton of experience using Arastor, but he can improve the quality of cards in your hand. Uh, leadership players are used to having to rely on effects like Valiant Sacrifice or Campfire Tales to draw cards, and if you're getting rid of junk and you're potentially drawing into gold, uh, then that is fantastic. Uh, Hama benefits from card advantage, and Arestor can kind of help provide that if you're discarding cards. If you've got tactics events that you're throwing away... Uh, knowing that you can return them to hand later, that's kind of a decent combo there. And he's a capable quester with a couple of points of willpower. We don't often see more than that, at least at this point in the card pool. And uh, with 3 HP, he can survive exhaustion. Uh, during staging, he can survive dark and dreadful, if that's doing too damage to all exhausted characters. Uh, so he's got some cool stuff going for him, and he's a unique Noldor ally, so he can enable you to play Elrond's Council. Uh, for any character that's adding to your discard pile, bear in mind stand and fight for any player running that card is an option if you're adding allies to your discard. Um, you know, just like people once upon a time or now and then players will include like Bjorn in their all spirit deck and they'll discard him to Eowyn and then they'll use stand and fight to kind of cheat him into play. Uh, so any stuff like Dwarven Tomb, Erebor Hammersmith, Second Breakfast, uh, really kind of make that discarding a card no problem at all. So he's a cool cool ally. Uh, if you can afford him, definitely play him. And uh, especially if you don't have the luxury of Barivor or Gleowine, uh, strong recommend from me. Agreed. And then we get a uh, an event next, and that is Fresh Tracks. It costs one. Response. After an enemy is added to the staging area, deal one damage to that enemy. Players ignore that enemy while making engagement checks this round. Uh, well, it's cheap, and, and I like that. I think the effect is actually pretty good, not only damaging an enemy, but keeping it sort of uh, at bay for a turn is potentially good. My, I don't know that I've seen this used a lot. Uh, I certainly can see this sitting in your hand forever and ever and ever, waiting for an enemy that you don't want to deal with. Um, because a lot of enemies you probably don't mind dealing with, you have the capability to do so, so you would want to bring them down. Uh, perhaps in combination with things like Thalon or something, you're, you're putting multiple points of damage, maybe killing something outright, and that would be good. Um, so it's, it's not a bad card. It's just one of those, it's, it's a little situational. It's, it's not, I don't know that you're ever going to hope, oh my god, I need to draw fresh tracks, because you kind of need that to get out of a situation. It's not, if that makes sense. Um, it's not something that you're going to draw that's going to save you. It's something that if you have in your hand, it's going to save you. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it used a lot, but I do think it's cool. This is a card that 
kind of strikes me as it can be used in a couple of different ways. So clearly it adds direct damage. So you mentioned Thalon, Gondorian Spearman is a thing, Gandalf and Sneak Attack are a thing. Uh, sometimes enemies have an awkward number of hit points. At some point in the future, there's an enemy that when it's revealed from the encounter deck, it gets a bonus attack. And if that resolves, it can kind of destroy the players. Uh, but if you do fresh tracks when that enemy is revealed and Thalon and Gondorian Spearman, that's 3 HP, and it's immediately destroyed. Uh, so it's got value there. It pins the enemy in the staging area, so it buys you a bit of time. Uh, Descendant of Thorindor, that four-cost tactics eagle ally, when it enters play, you deal two damage to an enemy in the staging area. When it leaves play, you do the same. So if you've got an enemy trapped in the staging area, knowing that you can end up killing it, that ends up working totally fine. Uh, by merit of trapping an enemy, you don't have to deal with it until the following round, so maybe you were a little over-ambitious when it came to committing characters to the quest. You can ensure that you've got, say, Gimli, uh, ready to attack and deal with that enemy. You can save up resources to fund effects like, you know, faint, thicket of spears, whatever event you may have, but not be able to afford to help kind of just deal with that enemy unexpectedly showing up. And maybe what I like most about this is it does afford players the opportunity to be liberal with who they're committing to the quest, just because you can send all of your characters, and on the off chance that you pull an enemy, you can use fresh tracks, and then you can kind of deal with it later, as opposed to uh, being filled with remorse and regret, like, God, do I want to send Gimli to the quest? Okay, I guess I'm not going to, but then I pull only locations, and I, I don't benefit from that two or three additional points of willpower. Uh, so it's cool to see direct damage outside of tactics. Probably the biggest bummer here is that Depending on the scenario, an enemy being in play uh, can be a big problem. Like if you pull a goblin sniper that would be sitting in the staging area anyway with its 48 engagement cost and its kind of conditional engagement requirement, uh, or we eventually see plenty of enemies where it's like every goblin gets plus two threat, or maybe it's an enemy with four or five threat. You don't always have Radagast's cunning and fresh tracks in hand. Uh, so, for the most part, this is a pretty solid card. It's not strictly necessary, but if you're running Dune here, it's kind of cool. If you're using anything like Bjorning Beekeeper to blast the staging area, it's also cool. And it uh, can just be a nice bit of insurance to make sure that the players aren't totally overwhelmed. So, a uh, cool card, and I'm uh, curious to see where this will show up in our series. I suppose the only other thing I can think of to mention is that we eventually start to see a lot of trap cards that are similar to Forest Snare, and they are normally an attachment that you play, and then they trigger and attach themselves to the first enemy revealed from the encounter deck. Because this is an event, if some weenie shows up that you can just handle outright, uh, don't play fresh tracks. And the power of choice is always an excellent thing. So, like I said, cool card, and uh, I look forward to this one. 
Yeah, so let's take a look at my favorite sphere, and that is uh, tactics. And we get an ally up front, the three-cost Erebor Battlemaster, with zero willpower, one attack, one defense strength, and two hit points. Uh, he is a dwarf and a warrior. And the Erebor Battlemaster gets plus one attack strength for each other dwarf ally you control. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that this guy was nerfed just a little bit. Um, he originally said uh, each other dwarf character you control, so that would include your heroes. Uh, so basically, if you're running a dwarf deck, he was an auto plus three uh, attack strength from the heroes plus whatever else you happen to control. Um, but I, I think he's probably still good with the errata. Um, in the dwarf deck, you're swarming dwarves. You're going to have a ton of them. This guy's going to be swinging for a ton. Um, uh, what kind of... I don't know if it kind of stinks, but what's maybe a little bit sad is in the deluxe box, Kaza Doom, we got the ally veteran of Nanduhirin, which I think is really sort of cool and flavorful and a big, beefy dwarf attacker, but he was instantly relegated to the binder with the release of this card. Um, this is by far the best, uh, probably attacking dwarf ally that exists, and it can just get massive. A little fragile in terms of not a lot of hit points and those kinds of things, but if you need a big massive punch, uh, this guy can definitely deal that out. So this is a pretty ridiculous ally in that for the cost of three, there's absolutely no ceiling whatsoever to the amount of attack strength that he can conjure up. So veteran axe hand was two resources and with Dane, it could attack for three. Uh, this is three resources and it with Dane attacks for two, but as soon as you play a single additional dwarf ally, it's already attacked attacking for three, four, five, and it just goes on and on to the point where it can vastly outperform any other ally geared toward attacking in the game, uh, with the possible exception of Bjorn, although Bjorn costs six, whereas this guy costs just three. Uh, in fact, he's so monumentally powerful that he can kind of shake that reliance on Gimli as a really hard-hitting uh, tactics dwarf, and as we eventually see just tons of dwarf heroes, even additional tactics dwarf heroes, uh, just being able to, like, sometimes when I'm building decks for these scenarios, it almost feels like I get stuck, where I have to include Gimli as my boss killer, and even though the dwarves get access to so much attack power... Um, you know, when you're wanting... Tactics doesn't exactly have a lot of card advantage, and if drawing cards is a pretty valuable thing, it's a pretty scarce commodity. If you're pulling something like Erebor Battlemaster, as opposed to Boots from Erebor, that's really a hell of a card. So, like you said, it's HP and defenses aren't great, but it's really just geared for attacking, and it does that incredibly well. It's got access to Dwarodelf Axe, uh, Kazad Kazad, but you're probably not even going to need those effects. So, it's pretty ridiculous. If you want to attack multiple times with it, you've got Lure of Moria, Erebor Record Keeper, Ever Vigilant, even without it being a hero 
hero, and we've already seen a ton of dwarf allies like that Record Keeper, the Zigil Miner, the Axe Hand, the Longbeard Orc Slayer, Erebor Hammersmith, Miner of the Iron Hills, the list goes on and on and on, and as we break into our saga expansions, the number of dwarf allies we have absolutely explodes. So the Erebor Battlemaster was once just an absolute god-tier card, uh, it probably still qualifies... So this is pretty ridiculous. Uh, maybe my only critique of it is that sometimes tactics is so incredibly proficient at destroying enemies that it's not strictly necessary. But uh, if you're playing a scenario where you need to, say, kill a dragon or something like that, Erebor Battlemaster is a, a pretty fantastic solution. Yeah, I agree. So our next card is an attachment. It is the two-cost ringmail. It is both an item and an armor, and it has to attach to a dwarf or hobbit character. It is restricted, and the attached character gets plus one hit point and plus one defense strength. Uh, I like this card a lot. I remember seeing it the first time, along with uh, Boots from Erebor, getting super excited that either a dwarf or a hobbit could wear it, and I think that that's kind of cool. Um, I like that it can go on a character, as opposed to just a hero, and that's a really important distinction. Um, I don't know that it matters so much at this point in the game's life, because there aren't a lot of allies you want to play this kind of stuff on, but eventually we would get some hero-like allies that you definitely want to keep around, and this would be a, a pretty decent uh, option for boosting their hit points and defense strength. But even if you're playing it on a hero, I think that it's that it's pretty good. Um, I think the natural comparison, of course, is to Citadel Plate, which... You know, I find that sitting in my hand a lot because it's so expensive and and everything in tactics seems to be expensive and I usually want to play allies over Citadel, Blate. And so this is uh basically half the cost and you get kind of half the benefit, except it's distributed differently. Um, the, the extra hit point, of course, is nice, but sometimes the extra defense strength is nicer, meaning the extra hit points really only matter if if attacks are sneaking through your defense strength. But if they never sneak through, then you don't really need the extra hit points. So long story short, I really like this one. I think it's decent, and I think it's a pretty good contender for either a dwarf deck, but uh, the Hobbit decks that we'll be seeing relatively soon. Something I like about Ringmail is even though you always have to pay four resources for Citadel Plate, you aren't always necessarily in dire need of the four hit point boost. Uh, often enough, you're not able to kind of cheat Citadel Plate into play by exploring some location and getting a, a freebie attachment or anything like that. So it's a lot of cost to pay for a card that you won't always need every single drop of HP from. At half the cost, this is much more affordable, and sometimes you only need that small HP boost. If that's really the only thing that you need, then Boots from Erebor is an option that costs zero and is neutral, uh, but like you said, defense strength can potentially save you from an infinite amount of damage over time. We eventually see events that allow characters to do an unlimited number of defending, uh, an unlimited number of defenses, 
Um, we've got unexpected courage, all sorts of effects like that that allow characters to repeatedly defend, and if you're sparing yourself a point of damage here and there, that definitely adds up dramatically over time. Uh, any HP boost uh, increases the likelihood that you're going to be able to survive an undefended attack or direct damage or anything like that. It gives you a bigger reservoir of HP so that when you heal damage from a character you're able to successfully do so, they survive long enough to receive healing, and then the heal all damage effects um, are just a little bit more cost efficient. So this is a pretty cool card. You happen to say that, um, you know, we eventually see allies that have these statistics of heroes, and as we get more and more cards for LOTR LCG, we start to see ally versions of heroes, hero versions of existing allies, and a lot of those have pretty significant stats associated with them. So if you've got three, four, or more defense on an ally that's a dwarf or hobbit, this card ends up being pretty good, and uh, when you are making your decision, do I want Citadel Plate, do I want Ringmail, like everything in this game, it all comes down to what scenario are you playing against? Are you going to need to defend against a bunch of attacks? If so, maybe you want Ringmail, are the enemies just hitting incredibly hard, like are you facing a ton of trolls? Maybe you're wanting to do Citadel Plate, or if you take a bunch of undefended attacks or direct damage, then go for Citadel Plate. But this is great on Dane. It's great in, you know, on Frodo Baggins, where it makes it even less likely that you'll have to use his threat gain ability. And, uh, you know, Bilbo Baggins has that natural synergy with a burning brand, so if he's 3 defense and 3 HP and shadow effects aren't resolving, it uh, just ends up being a pretty stellar little combo. So it's a cool effect, and uh, it's just yet another option. It's more power in one card than Dunedain Warning and Boots from Erebor, so it's it's a cool option. I don't know if we'll always use it, but now and then, I'm sure it's fantastic. Yeah, let's see what uh, Spirit has in store. And up first is a zero-cost attachment, Ever My Heart Rises. It is a condition attachment, and it has to attach to a dwarf character. Response. After you travel to a mountain or underground location, ready attach character and reduce your threat by one. Well, it's free. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess what it all comes down to is how many mountain or underground locations happen to be in a scenario. And for folks who don't like to deck build or for folks who like to play um, quest blind, this probably isn't a card that they will ever use. <laughs> Even if for people who do deck build and look at quests at a time, still probably a card they'll never use. But it's totally going to be uh, scenario specific. Meaning if you're traping through the forest of Mirkwood, probably no mountains, maybe not even any underground locations. So you really just have to know the scenario you're playing. And if it happens to have a bunch of mountains and underground locations and you need an extra card or two to throw into your deck and you're playing dwarves, I don't think that this is a bad idea. Lowering your threat in redding is great. It's just fairly situational. Um, so not a card I've seen used a ton, but certainly would be fun if and when it goes off. 
Yes, and that's kind of the problem with this one is, in theory, it's pretty cool, but the number of opportunities you'll have to use this are pretty low. Before we got to Casa Doom, which introduced underground locations, and before we got to the Dwarodelf cycle, which involves a lot of trekking through the mountains, there was, like, the Mountains of Mirkwood, and I think that was maybe the only mountain location. So at this point in the card pool, there are something around eight different mountain locations and 16 different underground locations but it's not like every scenario has one or two it's kind of you know maybe this scenario 70 percent of the locations qualify for something that would trigger ever my heart rises and most scenarios will have no uh, locations that could trigger this effect so, if you know that you're going to be playing a scenario where this could be useful, I would encourage people to use it, because often, when, at least the way you and I play, we're having one player draw a ton of cards, and we sometimes have many more cards in hand than we do resources to play them. Because this is free, if you're playing dwarves, you may as well toss this wherever you want, and, uh commit characters to the quest a little bit more freely than you're used to, especially if you already have a mountain or underground location in your staging area and you know for 100% certain that you're going to be traveling there, why not commit Gimli to the quest? Or why not send, uh, I guess... You know, you're committing Thalon to the quest, but if you have him ready, he can still attack for two or three if you're running Dane. Uh, as our card pool goes on and on and on, we see more expansions, open up Saga, sets, deluxe boxes, all that business. Um, at the time of recording this video, we... Did we just finish the Sands of Harad cycle? Um, no, we're still in it. Okay, and the Mountain of Fire saga expansion, the last of the six Lord of the Rings sagas, mm -hmm. that just yeah. came out, so there are... It a... comes out Thursday, yeah. Oh, sure, so probably by the time this video <laughs> is up, you guys right. can use Ever yeah. My Heart Rises uh, on, you know, I guess the the very mountain of whatever uh, Oro Druin, I guess, is the name of it. Uh, so anyways, my point is there's something like 41 mountains released to date and uh, 89 underground locations released to date. Uh, for the long, dark scenario that Matthew and I are going to be playing through next video, uh, there are a ton of those underground locations. And this is a cool card. Threat reduction is always nice. Readying characters is always nice. Uh, whether or not your spirit deck has a ton of dwarves in it, or whether your other players are playing with a lot of dwarves, you know, that's totally up to you. Uh, but this card is a nice luxury. It's far from a necessity, but because it can affect characters, throw it on Zigil Minor to get additional opportunities to generate resources after it's... Uh, well, you know, I guess uh, during, like, your planning phase, you could exhaust a Zigil Miner and then travel to a mountain, exhaust it again. It doesn't necessarily need to quest. Dwalin could potentially reduce your threat multiple times by killing multiple enemies. And if you're using fresh tracks to liberally commit characters to the quest, um, if you don't pull one of those mountain or underground locations and you need characters available but don't have them, 
use fresh tracks to pin an enemy in the staging area. Um, last thing I can think of is that travel is becoming more and more common, just like Hama is going to cause the developers to move in the direction of making enemies immune to player card effects. The existence of Northern Tracker meant that locations generally require more and more progress tokens to explore. So, travel is more and more common. Ever My Heart Rises now and then is going to be a pretty reasonable, excellent card. All right, and up next for Spirit is the five-cost event, Out of Sight. It is Secrecy 3, and action. Enemies engaged with you cannot attack you this phase. Um, another card that got eroded. Originally, it was enemies engaged with you uh, cannot attack this phase, uh, but now it's just they can't attack you. Um, so with Secrecy, it costs 2. This isn't a card I've seen a ton, although I suppose in sort of an oh-crap moment, this could be great, where for some reason, even though you're in secrecy, a bunch of enemies somehow engaged you, and you aren't prepared to deal with them, so not having to deal with the attacks is is good. Um, again, secrecy is not something I see people play a ton, so this isn't a card I've seen played a ton, but I can certainly recognize its value, but I guess being sort of ignorant when it comes to secrecy. I don't know how many situations there would be when you need to have, you know, two plus enemies not attacking you. Meaning, how often would it be that you're engaged with more than two enemies when your threat is under uh, 20? Uh, that seems unlikely to me, but I suppose if it happens, this is a, a good way to deal with it. This is a very unusual card. I think this is maybe best for a player who builds a secrecy deck that wants to be able to beat any scenario. Because if I have the courage and audacity to build a secrecy deck, I'm probably not going to sit and volitionally play a scenario with a ton of really low engagement cost enemies. Like, if I'm playing secrecy, I want to be able to play a scenario where enemies can remain in the staging area because my threat is so low. If I'm playing secrecy, I don't want to play a scenario where the enemies have incredibly low engagement cost and they're making secrecy even more difficult for me. Like, if I already feel as though I'm handicapping myself, I don't exactly want to, you know, bang my head against the wall and just see how miserable I can make my existence here. Uh, so it is cool insurance where if, by surprise, enemies are engaged with you, if you are still in that secrecy threshold, you can spend a couple of resources, the same cost as a light in the dark, and those enemies don't resolve their shadow cards, they don't resolve their attacks. Maybe you're able to attack those enemies and destroy them, but if you're playing secrecy, you probably don't have a ton of resources to spare because your hero count is low, and if you're playing spirit as half or all of your secrecy equation, you maybe don't have a ton of attack strength just saved up to destroy the enemies that are engaged with you. Granted, enemies that engage easily aren't the toughest in the world, but then again, maybe you can withstand undefended attacks. Um, it's possible that you can just use this card once you get to the point where you have so many allies in play that you can just kind of ignore all the enemies and quest to the end, like you can just optionally engage everything. Uh, like, let's say 
you're a solo player. You're only pulling one encounter card per turn. If it's a treachery, it doesn't add threat. If it's a location, you can travel to it. If it's an enemy, you can engage with it. You can play out of sight. You can keep questing, exploring locations, completing quest cards, and maybe you could even use Dwarven Tomb to return this to your hand and play it again. And in that sense, it's kind of like Thicket of Spears, where you can just repeatedly play this and prevent all enemies from attacking you. Uh, it works similar to a Hama lockdown deck, where Hama could recur Thicket of Spears and maybe kind of occupy every enemy in the game, and just, they never attack, they never resolve shadow cards, you can slowly but surely pick them off, or just choose not to, because Hama can always recur this. It's definitely trickier for a secrecy player to do, but it's not entirely different. One of our most uh, secrecy-friendly heroes, uh, Frodo Baggins, could use the attachment Good Meal to make this free, because he's spirit, this is a spirit event, he can drop the cost by two thanks to Good Meal, and then it costs zero if you're in secrecy. Uh, so this is an interesting card... You know, I've, I've sat here and I've, I've talked quite a lot about how you could pull it off, but I think it's frankly much easier to just, uh, play another card. Yeah. Alright, up next is Lore, and we get the two cost ally, Warden of Healing. One willpower strength, zero attack strength, one defense strength, and one measly hit point. The Warden is both Gondor and a healer. And action. Exhaust Warden of Healing to heal one damage on up to two different characters. Then you may pay two lore resources to ready Warden of Healing. Uh, fantastic card. Um, healing is always good. This is so much better than any of the healing we've gotten before in the game. It's repeatable. It's healing two different characters. I haven't seen a lot of people pay the two lore resources to ready him super often, just because lore resources tend to be so precious. But even without readying him and just using him once, it's great. The thing you have to be careful of with this guy is that, again, as I mentioned, he's so fragile. Only one hit point. So you don't want to do this before questing when you might get Necromancer's Reach or something. Uh, and then he's wiped out and you won't be able to use him uh, again because he died. Uh, but other than that, as long as you're careful with when you're using him, he is stellar. Yeah, this is a really cool hero. He doesn't heal for a lot, but generally the difference between 3 HP and 4 or 4 and 5 is going to make or break a scenario. Um, you can often enough kind of wait to heal with him until you absolutely know that you are going to need healing. Like, let's say Gimli has 4 HP remaining out of his 5, and he's about to take uh, an attack of 3. You flip the shadow card, the enemy gets plus 1 attack strength, Gimli's about to take 4 points of damage. Instead of him dying, you can use Warden of Healing to strip away one of those points. So, 1 point can make a huge amount of difference. If you know that you're going to need every drop of healing possible, maybe you are using Daughter of the Nimrodel, maybe you're using Self-Preservation, but having the flexibility to heal multiple characters between players, it could be an ally, it could be a hero, it could be an objective ally. That is just incredibly powerful uh, because it counts as two instances of healing. 
At the end of this adventure pack cycle, we're going to see an effect that amplifies each individual occurrence of healing. Uh, so that kind of split stream ends up being even better in that case. I totally agree with you that it's not often that players pay those two lore resources to have him perform double duty, but just having the option is absolutely fantastic, because sometimes you're going to need to heal multiple characters damaged by the necromancer's reach or something like that. And the fact that you can pick whatever character you want between rounds, you can pick different characters, this just makes this uh, an incredibly powerful card. So it's it's less effective than some of our other healing effects, like um, like Lore of Imladris can heal all damage from a character for the cost of two, but that's kind of a one-time-only effect, whereas the Warden can be used uh, time and time again uh, because it's an ally that exhausts. It's a great target to be readied by Brand, Son of Bane, or Grim Resolve, Ever Vigilant. The options here are limitless, so I'm not normally one to include a lot of healing in decks, uh, but Warden of Healing is just so sufficiently powerful that uh, I do often go back to this one. And uh, it's even got a point of willpower for if you only need it for questing. So, extremely cool card. There's not really any Gondor synergy to speak of, uh, outside of, I guess, for Gondor, if you need uh, an additional one point of attack. But fantastic ally, uh, cannot recommend enough. All right, so our next lore card is the zero-cost attachment, Love of Tales. It is a condition attachment, and it has to attach to a lore hero, limit one per hero. Response. After a song card is played, exhaust Love of Tales to add one resource to attached heroes resource pool. So this card did get an errata. You, uh, you didn't have to exhaust it back in the day. So it was basically unlimited coin and, uh, now it's not. And from my recollection, this is because there was some deck that was abusing this and I don't really know how. I'm sure you can Google it and figure it out. Um, the biggest thing for me here is, is it worth it? Right, a lot of the songs cost one. Uh, the so song of kings, song of travel, that kind of thing. So you're essentially getting them for free, um, or it's a way to sort of add resources to a lore character. So let's say you're playing song of travel on a leadership hero. Well, you exhaust this, and it, you know it gives the lore folks some some resources. So uh, it also works for other characters. So I guess it's not necessarily for free if I play one on. My hero and Mitch has Love of Tales on his lore hero, and then he gets an extra little bonus because I happen to play a song. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting in that sense, but as we mentioned with some of these other cards, it sort of really means knowing your deck and maybe your buddy's deck if you're playing multiplayer. Are there a lot of songs? Are songs worth including just to get Love of Tales to work? I would argue not. But uh, what are your thoughts, Mitch? Well... I think this is a very thought-provoking card, and when it first came out, we had such a dearth of available songs that I was totally fine passing it by. And there came a time in a LOTR LCG history where Love of Tales was extremely powerful, because you originally didn't have to exhaust this attachment. You could have one person play a song, and if you had three heroes with Love of Tales, maybe they invest 
invest one resource and you walk away with three, uh, with recursion of events and all sorts of other things. Like you said, it was totally possible to abuse that and get a huge number of resources. But in the progression series context, we do have the errata. I think this is the single adventure pack with the most errata to date, you know, out of sight, love of tales, Erebor Battlemaster. Uh, but anyways, you have to exhaust this attachment after someone plays a song. There are only the four resource icon granting songs. There's Song of Mocking, which I'm not exactly impressed by. There's Durin's song, which I could certainly see people playing multiple times. But of all those resource-fixing, resource-smoothing songs, I generally only include maybe one or two between the two of us. And this is restricted to lore heroes, even if you you use Song of Wisdom to grant a lore resource icon, this just, not, just does not strike me as being worth it at all. Uh, I don't think there's, like, an existing song deck that this kind of naturally fits into, and I don't think its introduction to the game warrants building a song deck. So it's it's potentially cool. Uh, I think at the time of the... Uh, video here coming out. There are 18 or so different songs to date, so this one is certainly worth revisiting. And even if you do, you know, have three of these in play, uh, only being able to generate, say, three resources once per round from a song instead of, you know, three resources per song per round, there's still a lot of power here. So I think in the progression series card pool, it's totally worth skipping. Uh, but I certainly think there will come a day when we revisit this one, even in its kind of nerfed form. Uh, but I guess those are my thoughts. Anything else, or shall we move on to our final lore card? Um, probably just a comment that goes without saying is this is totally dependent on an individual player's playstyle. Um, I'm not the Trixie, let me find how I can break the game so it forces the designers to erotic cards kind of player. And there certainly are those kinds of players, and I don't begrudge them anything. But uh, just really not my thing. Uh, this isn't something I'm going to draw and be like, yes, this is going to win me the game. It's a nice little bonus that maybe I'd want in my opening hand. But I don't know, every time I pick a card, I know I say this a ton, but I'm always looking, I'm always sort of thinking, if this was my one card draw a turn, is it going to give me some sort of uh, immediate advantage or is it, you know, maybe longer term game or something? I think different cards fit into different positions, sort of short term and immediate or, you know, short term, you know, midterm and, and, and long term sort of uh, cards. But I tend to be more of a short to, you know, next turn kind of player and not the let me set up some complicated combo kind of player. So that's where I sort of have negative thoughts on cards like this. Yeah, I will say the one thing that kind of redeems the fact that this might be an underwhelming draw is the fact that it's a lower card, so you might have more card advantage going for you than most. Sure. Uh, and then the only other thing I can think of is certainly back in the day, it felt like we were getting enough alternatives to songs to kind of discourage me from using them. Like mm -hmm. instead of, say, Song of Wisdom, maybe I'd just pick Biffer uh, as my starting hero. So yeah. Love of Tales was an odd card. I think it'll stay an odd card for a long time, uh, but I look forward to seeing what we do with it, if anything. 
So let's take a look at our next card. It happens to not be a song. It is the one-cost event, Word of Command. Action. Exhaust an Astari character to search your deck for one card and add it to your hand. Shuffle your deck. Um, I almost expected this to say exhaust an Astari character you control, but you cannot exhaust other people's characters. So it would have to be one you control, even if they don't tell you. Um, if, I mean, this would mean Gandalf at this point in the game. Um, which means you're playing him and then not attacking, defending, or questing with him. I suppose there's Radagast as well. How could I forget one of my favorites? Um, so he's a better use because Gandalf you kind of want to do fun stuff with, whereas Radagast kind of sits around collecting resources. Um, but yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, if you're going to use either Gandalf or Radagast, I think that this is, is decent. Um, being able to search your, your deck for one card and enter your hand is really powerful. Um, I don't know that I've seen people use this a ton because at this point we really just have Gandalf and Radagast and Radagast is the safer bet and he's not super popular, but, um, I think it's actually pretty good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, the trick is you need Gandalf or Radagast, and those are both five cost allies, and yeah. you're not always gonna draw them. Sometimes you'll play them and you'll need them for other things. Uh, like Radagast, maybe you're going to need him for questing Gandalf. Maybe you used sneak attack so he doesn't hang around long enough for you to use word of command. And at this point in the card pool, None of the decks I build feel like I'm trying to look for a, like, win condition card. There's no critical linchpin, no final combo piece where once I play that card, I can get some game-breaking combo online. There are decks like that, like maybe you're doing Hama and you really need that copy of Feint or Thicket of Spears to start locking down enemies. Uh, maybe you really want Steward of Gondor or something like that. But again, it's maybe easier to, you know, run some sort of traditional card draw card instead of Word of Command, just because the odds of being able to afford Gandalf and still needing Word of Command and having it in your hand, those are all kind of low. Like, there's a little bit of irony that Word of Command lets you search for a card where sometimes maybe you're wishing you could search for Word of Command to search for another card. Um, but this is certainly better than mustering the Rohirrim that lets you look at the top ten. It's often better than the Eagles are coming, which lets you look at the top five for Eagles. Um... It's it's just at the moment I don't feel compelled to play this card. Uh, in our original progression series, Matthew, you were the one to kind of own up to uh, failing to use this card optimally, so I suppose I'll take my turn now. Back in the day, I didn't realize that uh, in the refresh phase, you ready all of your characters, then there's an action window, then the round ends. So if you play Gandalf in the traditional sense, before he's discarded, you have an action window where he doesn't have the opportunity to do anything else. So you may as well play Word of Command, search for whatever card you want, and then Gandalf is discarded. Uh, so this is a very potent card. It's a very powerful, our first true tutoring effect. But I wouldn't necessarily expect to see this anytime soon. So cool stuff. It's nice to see Gandalf performing a little bit of magic for once. <laughs> Uh, but it's not great, and, uh, 
I suppose it's a little odd that this is the first time we have an adventure pack without a neutral card, uh, and especially considering Gandalf and Radagast are both neutral. <laughs> I don't know if they just got the template wrong for this card or if it was deliberately lore. Uh, but anyways, Matthew, that brings us to the end of yet another AP. We're slowly uh, putting a bow on <laughs> the Dwarodelf cycle here. We're over halfway done. Uh mm taken a little while but what are your thoughts on these player cards i think this is one of the strongest adventure packs to date um in that i mean the hero is decent i know there are people that use him um i think aerostore is good fresh tracks is decent uh Erebor battlemaster is wonderful uh ringmail i think is is quite good uh evermire heart rises could be fun and good but most of the time it's not going to be Honestly, the pack is worth it just for Warden of Healing, quite frankly. That is a staple. It's a staple to this day. We still don't really have healing better than this, as far as I'm concerned. He is wonderful. Um, so, I mean, I don't really know that there are any cards that are totally dead on arrival. Uh, it kind of just depends on your playstyle, whether you like songs or whether you like um, secrecy and those kinds of things. I think they're all fairly decent. And so that this, to me, is a pretty strong entry into our little game here. I think I agree that this is a pretty reasonable pack. It seems like kind of the rule of thumb for adventure packs is maybe you get one or two gems on a good day and then kind of a <laughs> bunch of not garbage per se, but just some more lackluster cards. And I think the average power uh, of each of these is a little bit higher than average. And there are some which, you know, like I, I happen to say Erebor Battlemaster is kind of a god tier card. Uh, I do very much believe that. Erestor, that card advantage for leadership is fantastic. And Fresh Tracks is, it's a very cool card. Whether you use it or not, it affords players a ton of options that they did not previously have. And then uh, Ever My Heart Rises, Ringmail, situationally, those are pretty gold. And uh, there's even some kind of neat stuff that, while I'm not rushing out to use cards like Out of Sight, I'm not exactly comfortable calling it trash. Uh, so Warden of Healing is good. Erebor Battlemaster is also very good. Some people are extremely fond of Love of Tales. And then the rest of the AP, I could kind of take or leave. Uh, but Hama is a very, very interesting hero. He allows us to do all sorts of tricky stuff. And, uh, you know, whether for good or for ill, he definitely helped shape the development of later LOTR LCG. But I suppose that's all I've got to say on the subject. Matthew, as always, why don't you plug your podcast and uh, let's put this one to bed. Well, as always, I would love it if you all would check out uh, the Gray Company podcast and join host Dan, Derek, Ian, and of course myself for an in-depth look at the Lord of the Rings LCG, focusing on strategy, deck building, and the metagame. I definitely recommend checking them out. Give them a listen. Uh, 
And if for any reason you want to get in touch with me, I'm the Hive Tyrant on Twitter, Facebook. If you want to support the ongoing Lord of the Rings, the card game progression series, there's a Patreon as well. Do let Matthew and I know in the comments what your own opinion is of any or all of these cards. Uh, it's always nice to get some uh, outside perspective. Um, it's It gets very easy to always see these cards in the same light. So anything that kind of lets me see them from a different direction is very helpful for Matthew and myself. But yet again, thank you for watching. Watching. Check back in soon as we play the excellent The Long Dark scenario. Look forward to it. Thank you for watching. Take care and have a good one.